Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, great to be with you guys. Um, wasn't God's presence with us in worship amazing? And I just really still really sense he's with us. We had a really wonderful meeting in the first service, and God, during the, during the preach and during the ministry, really did come and meet with us and bring freedom to people and encouragement. I'm just expecting that God's going to do the same for us in this meeting. So I want to encourage you. Turn up your expectation levels. Don't just go through the motions. When God is here, anything can happen, as Andy sang in the worship. So let's expect God not just to meet with the person to your left or to your right, but to actually meet with you. He wants to meet with you, and he wants to speak with you. So this morning, we're going to continue our series in Acts, which we're calling Greater Things, where we're really looking to be inspired by and learn lessons from the early church. You know, we see the disciples um, get filled with the Holy Spirit right at the beginning of the book. And then um, we see God's presence then working through them. And they see amazing miracles, amazing signs and wonders, incredible breakthroughs. And we're really wanting as a church to learn lessons from them, from what Luke has recorded in the book of Acts, so that we can also access the greater things God has for us. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. And we're going to be focusing on learning lessons about how the disciples responded to opposition they faced when they did the stuff God called them to do. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm loving being part of this church family at the moment. God is doing some amazing things among us. It is a great time to be part of the King's Arms Church, guys. I'm just saying. I heard a story recently from a friend of mine in the church who was going to see the dentist and she was sitting in the dentist's waiting room and she just felt like the Holy Spirit said to her, I want you to ask your dentist about his honeymoon. Now that was a provocation to me in and of itself because if I'm ever sitting in the dentist's waiting room, I'm really not often, if at all, waiting to hear what God might want to say to my dentist. Most of all, I'm thinking, please, Lord, don't let me need any treatment. Can anyone relate to... Okay, so, so I'm already provoked. Anyway, she goes into the dentist's room, and she um, begins to ask this guy about his honeymoon really courageously. She didn't, know the, she didn't know his situation, his personal life situation. Anyway, it turns out he's engaged, and he was going to be ma getting married a few, in a few months' time. Um, but he, he had, the, the evening before, he and his fiancée had been talking about their honeymoon and that they really should get a move on in terms of booking what they were going to do just the evening before she went to see him. So she's then sitting in the chair getting treatment, and the Holy Spirit says to her, ask him about his new shoes. And so obviously she waits until the treatment's over, and then when the treatment is over, she asks her dentist about, you know, have you, have you got some new shoes recently? And he said, what is this? He said, I got new shoes at the weekend. What is going on? And she thought, brilliant, this is my opportunity. And she took the opportunity to tell the guy about Jesus and to tell him the gospel in the dentist room. Isn't that amazing? So good. I mean, I just, I remember... I remember the time in our church family where we just, nothing like that was happening, and it's just, this is so regular now. Even last night, I was out with some friends, and I was sitting with a couple in the church whose son uh, is absolutely loving King's Kids worship. Uh, you know, our kids now go out and worship on their own with, with people amazingly leading them into God's presence, and they were saying how their son is right at the front, he loves worshipping, and so much so that when he goes home, he insists that they play the whole soundtrack again so that he can worship twice. He worships once at church, and then he goes home, he's like, Mom and Dad, I want to worship again, let's play all the songs again. I think that is amazing that God is doing that among our kids. We are seeing incredible breakthrough, but the reality is, guys, there is more for us. 
There is more for us to step into individually and corporately as a church family. But the reality is that as we go after the greater things God's got for us, it is very likely that we are going to experience opposition along the way. And some of that opposition will come in the form of people, like in the story we're about to look at with James and Peter and James, or Peter, I've forgotten the name, Peter and John, I think it is. Um, they experience opposition from people, it's people's reactions to them, people's responses to them. Some of our opposition will come from people, but others, others of us, our opposition will come from situations or circumstances that we find ourselves in. So we will receive opposition maybe in the form of sickness or anxiety or relationship breakdowns, or bereavement, or discouragements. And I want us to learn some lessons now from the disciples about how can we respond to opposition when it comes so that we don't shrink back, we don't stop what we're called to do, but we keep going after the stuff God's got for us and keep taking ground. So let me just give you a bit of background In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John just witness this amazing miracle. There's a lame man who has been lame from birth, and he's placed at the gates of the temple every day. So the whole of Jerusalem would have known this guy. They would have seen him there begging every day when they went to the temple courts. And uh, Peter and John are going to the temple, and they see the lame man there begging, and the, the lame man looks to them for money, and they say, you know the story, they say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus rise up and walk and immediately in that instant this lame guy is completely healed and the Bible says that he goes around walking and jumping and leaping and praising God and all the people suddenly see this lame guy that they've seen lame for years and years and years suddenly is incredibly healed totally totally restored and it causes a bit of a stir And Peter and John make the most of the opportunity to preach the gospel to the crowd. And it says, actually, that around 5,000 men, let alone women and children, give their life to Jesus in that moment. So we could probably call this a massive breakthrough for the early church, okay? Incredible breakthrough. But the chief priests and the religious leaders are not happy about what's going on. Uh, They they do not want the disciples preaching about Jesus, that he's risen again from the dead. They do not want people following Jesus. And so they arrest Peter and John, and they charge them, and they say, don't ever speak about this again. You're not to preach the gospel. You're not to talk about Jesus. If you do, you will be punished. And then they release the disciples. Peter and John receive opposition immediately after they just see an incredible breakthrough. Let's read about their response. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they'd gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow. Peter and John receive opposition for doing the stuff they're called to do. What can we learn about their response to the opposition so that as we step into the stuff we're called to do, if opposition comes, we can respond in the same way and keep taking ground? Well, I think the first thing we can learn is this, the importance of involving our friends. The importance of involving our friends. Verse 23 says this, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Let me tell you what Peter and John didn't do. They didn't keep the opposition to themselves and try to deal with it on their own. They didn't deny that the opposition was there and pretend to their friends that everything was actually okay. And they didn't minimize the opposition to try to make it seem better than it was. What they did was they immediately went to their friends and they were totally transparent with them exactly about what the chief priests and the religious leaders had said. They were honest about the opposition they were facing. You know, one of the best things we can do when we face opposition, when we walk through challenges, when we face discouragements, is to involve our friends, is to go to our friends and tell them exactly what is going on for us. But you know, the truth is that to do this takes intentionality and courage, because the enemy is on a mission to keep us isolated. The enemy knows how powerful we are when we face opposition in community. And so he is on a mission to isolate us, to get us to keep quiet, to keep things to ourselves, so that he can take us out. That is the enemy's mission. And if we don't go to our friends when we face opposition, we actually put ourselves in a very vulnerable position. Let me put it this way. The Bible refers to the enemy as a roaring lion prowling around looking for people to devour. Now, if you think about lions hunting in, hunting in the wild, if they are hunting in the wild and they see a herd of buffalo, for example, like this herd, which buffalo are they going to choose to be their prey as they look to take a buffalo out? The one on its own, the one isolated, the one on the edge. The lion is going to go after the one that is on the edge, isolated, on its own. The buffalo that are in the middle of the herd, the buffalo who are surrounded by other buffalo, are going to be very, very difficult for the lion to get to. He is going to look for the buffalo that is isolated on the edge on their own. It's so important that when we face opposition, we involve our friends. And for me, over the last month or so, I have been uh, wrestling a little bit with anxiety personally wrestling with anxiety. And I've never, never really struggled with anxiety before, but I'm beginning to realize how horrible it is. And basically what happens is, for me, I suddenly feel very emotional, very overwhelmed with what's going on. I can logically work out what you're feeling is irrational, but I can't work my, my way out of the feeling. And what the feeling makes me want to do is just run and hide. And what triggered it for me was that I turned 40 recently and I was um, reflecting on my life and I had to process some fairly major pain about not having my own kids. 
And I began to look forward to, my, to the rest of my life as I got older. And the fear that gripped my heart was, you are going to be on your own. You are going to be alone. You're going to die alone. You're going to be alone. And it just caused anxiety to rise up in my heart. And I, as I was writing this preach, I was actually feeling quite anxious while I was writing the preach. And I was trying to push through because I thought, oh, I've got to get this preach written. And I got to this particular point where I said, involve your friends. And I'm writing this brilliant preach, involve your friends. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me and he said, Wendy, who have you told this today that you're actually struggling with anxiety right now? And I was like, oh, I haven't told anyone specifically today. I told people previously. So I stopped what I was doing and sent a text to a couple of friends. And I said, look, I'm trying to write this preach. I'm really wrestling with anxiety. Can you pray for me? And it, it, didn't, mean, it didn't mean the anxiety totally went, but it definitely took the edge off. And what happened was I moved from the edge of the herd in that moment, if you like, into the center of the herd because I was now surrounded and protected by the prayers of my friends. It's so important that we involve our friends when we face opposition. Let me ask you, where are you, where are you in this herd analogy? Are you on the edge, are you isolated, or are you the center of the herd, protected and covered by friends when you're going through difficult times? You know, if we're going to access the greater things that God has got for us, when opposition comes, we must involve our friends so that we're not fighting it on our own. But it is a battle. It takes courage. The enemy will tell you things like, you'll be a burden if you share that. What you're going through isn't really a big deal. Your friends have enough challenges of their own without you adding to them. People will think you're weak if you share that. Your friends aren't really interested in what's going on anyway. You just keep this between you and God. And for some of you, you might even have the lie come that you haven't got any friends. You haven't got anyone to talk to anyone. Anyway, you're alone. You're on your own. A bit like me, having to wrestle recently. You're on your own. You're going to be alone. Why does the enemy want us to think we're alone? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because if you think you're alone, you withdraw. If you think you're on your own, if you think you're alone, you withdraw. And you don't tell anyone what's going on. And the danger with that is you put yourself in a very vulnerable position on the edge of the herd where the enemy can come and take you out. And that's not what God has for this church family. We are called to be family together. And the truth is, no one is alone. First and foremost, because God says he will never leave us or forsake us, but also because we're in family. And I just feel like in this moment, God wants to do something to break off the lie that you are alone. Because if you think you're alone, you isolate yourself. And I feel like God wants to just deal with isolation in this moment. And so I just want to encourage you, if you can resonate with some of the stuff I've been sharing, if you've had that lie recently, you're alone. And just to say, you can have loads of people around you and still have that lie that you're alone. I had just celebrated my birthday and had loads and loads of amazing celebrations, and then the lie came straight after. So if you can resonate with that, you have been struggling with feeling, I am alone, then I want you to be courageous right now, and I want you to stand with me, because I feel like Jesus wants to do something right now in this moment. So if you can resonate with that, why don't you go ahead and stand? And we're going to pray for each other. Be brave. Just you standing is going to do something very powerful. If you aren't able to stand, you can just put your hand in the air. Well done, guys. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's what we're going to do, guys. I want us to quickly, family, gather around these guys. Let's gather around them. 
put your hand up maybe if you've, put, if you've stood up to get prayer until you've got someone with you. I want to make sure everyone has someone around them. This is really important because this is going to bring breakthrough for, for not only you but for us as a family. So just put your hand up if you're still waiting for someone to come. I want to make sure everyone's got someone with them. Is there anyone still waiting for someone to come and pray for them? Okay, great. Let's go for it, guys. Let's be family. I want you to pray your best prayers. Pray over these guys the truth that they are not alone and they never will be. Let's go for it. Lift your voices. This is a key family moment right now. Speak truth over them. Father, right now, I just break the power of isolation in Jesus' name. I break it off these guys. I thank you for their courage. But right now, Father, I break the power of isolation in Jesus' name. And we just prophesy and declare over you that you are not alone. You are not alone. You are called to be in family. You are called to be part of family where people stand with you, pray with you, encourage you. God, come. God, come. Come and break off isolation right now in Jesus' name. We just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We break it off you. You are not isolated. You are not alone. Keep going, guys. Let's pray. Pray a bit longer. God is going to do something significant here that is going to bring these guys back into community. It's going to bring them back into the middle of the herd so that they are protected, so they can keep doing what God's called them to do. More God. More God. Yeah, we just break the power of isolation and we prophesy family. We prophesy community. We just say that you are part of this family. You are part of this family. You are not on your own. God says he will never leave you and never forsake you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, we just speak community around you in Jesus' name. And we just pray for you for the courage to not withdraw, for the courage to reach out, for the courage to send a text when you need to. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray that this changes today. That this changes today, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being courageous. It's good. So good. Thank you, Lord. Um, I just want to say to you, those of you who've just been prayed for, because the enemy is no respecter of persons, and he doesn't care the fact that you've just been courageous right now, uh, he is probably going to lie to you very quickly again that you are still alone. Okay? Can, I just, can I just urge you that the way you're going to break that is by not coming under it, by quick, but quickly sending a text. Guys, send it to a friend, send it to someone in your group, send it to a family member. I'm just feeling like this. Please pray. Let's, let's be quick to deal with this stuff so that we don't isolate ourselves because the truth is God is always with us and we are in family. Okay. So the first thing we can learn about how to respond to opposition, involve your friends. Involve your friends. Don't do it on your own. The second thing we can learn is this. Pray. It's very simple. Pray. Verse 24 says this. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They prayed. Peter and John and their friends didn't call a meeting to strategize about how they were going to continue to see the gospel spread through Jerusalem. They didn't do that. 
They didn't rely on their own wisdom regarding how they should deal with the, the threats from the religious leaders. And also, they didn't immediately jump to self-protection. How are we going to protect ourselves from these threats that they've spoken over us? What they did immediately was to pray. They looked up, they looked to God, and they prayed. And you know what amazes me when I look at the prayer they prayed is that they actually ended up praying for more boldness to do the very thing that had got them arrested in the first place. I find that so provoking. They, they prayed for the very thing that the, the, the religious leaders just said, if you do this anymore, you are going to get arrested. We're going to punish you. And in their prayer time, they prayed for more boldness to do that very thing. Yeah. That is so staggering to me. I, I was looking through this and saying, God, how did they do that? How in the face of opposition could they pray, God, give us boldness to keep doing that stuff? And I felt like God showed me two things. And then the first thing is this. They reminded themselves of God's nature and character. They reminded themselves of who God was. The disciples actually in their prayer take five verses to remind God who he is, to tell God who he is, and only two verses to ask him to do stuff for them. Which is a brilliant model for us when it comes to us praying. That if, if we're facing opposition, when we come to pray, if we can spend a big chunk of our time remembering who God is, his ch- unchanging nature and character before we quickly jump to what we want him to do, then we will stand in very good stead. Because basically what happens is the disciples receive the opposition, they're very aware and real about the opposition, but rather than quickly deciding how to respond out of the reality of the opposition, they first look up. They remind themselves, this is what God is like, he's unchanging, this is his character, this is his nature, and so their response ends up coming out of revelation of God rather than the reality of the opposition. Their response comes out of their revelation of God rather than the reality of the opposition. And it's so important. This is just look at some of their prayer. They started sovereign Lord. In other words, they're reminding themselves God is totally in charge. He's not surprised by what's going on, and ultimately, His will will be done. Then they say, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Basically, you made everything. In other words, they're reminding themselves, God, you're creator, you're huge, you can do anything, nothing is impossible for you. And then they quote the beginning of Psalm 2. They quote the beginning of Psalm 2. They don't write the whole thing out, but the disciples will have been mindful of the entire psalm. And the psalm is essentially like based on, look, God, these nations are coming after us. They're going to try and squash us. They're trying to take Jesus out. They're trying to stop the kingdom being spread. But basically, the rest of the psalm talks about how God is totally in charge of the nations, and he's victorious over everything. In fact, the verse after, where they, they finish quoting in Luke, says about God, you sit in the heavens and laugh. You sit in the heavens and laugh. There's all these plots against Jesus. There's all these plots to try and take the kingdom out. But God, the reality is you sit in the heavens and laugh because you're victorious and you're ultimately in charge of all the nations and what you want is going to happen. So they remind themselves of that. And then they say, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats, God. They don't say, God, would you take their threats away? What they do is they remind themselves that God is a God of justice. God, you're a God of justice. Look upon their threats. In other words, they're saying, you are going to bring justice into this situation. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What I love about that is they remind themselves that the boldness they need to keep doing the stuff they're called to is going to come from God anyway. 
they recognize they are totally dependent on God to keep doing the stuff they're called to and say, God, give us the boldness we need. We want to carry on, but we're dependent on you. You need to give it to us. And they finish, while you stretch out your hand to heal. In other words, they remind themselves, God is healer. And this miracle that just got us into trouble, he wants to keep doing that kind of stuff. And we want him to. Keep breaking in God. Keep doing amazing miracles. You're the one who does it. You're the one who's passionate about it. We just want to say, God, do it again. I was um, chatting to a friend who I know feels really called to impact her workplace. And uh, she, she works in the healthcare sector, and it's not always straightforward, but she feels called to uh, shape the culture of her workplace, but also see God's kingdom come. And a while ago, she was actually experiencing fairly major opposition in her workplace. And one colleague in particular was um, intent on spreading rumors about her uh, to try to muddy her reputation and to try and call into question her abilities. Uh, And it would have been very easy for my friend to experience that opposition and withdraw and back off uh, and and maybe even to have left. I think there were times when she felt like, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. And it would have been very easy for her to leave. But what she decided to do instead was to remind herself of God's unchanging nature and character and to pray for him to break in. And so on her way to work, she would pray in the car and she would remember that God is the God of justice and she would pray that the God of justice would break into the injustice she was facing. And when she turned up at the offices early, she would walk around the office and remind herself that God is a God of peace and she would pray for his peace to break through in the office. Instead of shrinking back and saying nothing, she would confront the harassment she was facing. She was incredibly courageous in doing that. And you know, when an opportunity for a promotion came up in her workplace, she decided to go for it. And she got given the promotion. <coughs> What's happening? Well, she's responding to the opposition based on her revelation of God's nature and character. The fact that I'm still called to be here. He is going to bring justice. And I am still meant to bring influence in this place. And actually, she's now in a place where she can more increasingly... Uh, shape the culture and she's seeing influence in the culture and she's seeing that begin to change because of the position she's in. In the face of opposition, my friend reminded herself, this is what God is like and I'm going to respond out of that revelation, not this reality. Are you facing opposition right now? Is Is the enemy trying to distract you, discourage you, stop you doing the stuff you're called to? Well, let me encourage you. Once you've involved your friends, all together, make a decision, look up, remind yourself what God is like, his unchanging nature, his unchanging character, and then pray your prayer of response based on that information of who God is, that he never changes. And I think the other reason the disciples were able to pray for the very thing that got them the opposition in the first place and not shrink back or back off is because they were convinced of their calling. They were convinced 
that they were called to see God's kingdom advance wherever they were. They were convinced that they carried the resurrection power of Jesus, that they were meant to see impossible situations turned on their head. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen Jesus go about proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom wherever he went, and he knew, they knew, he had passed the baton onto them. They were convinced, this is what we're called to do. We're meant to shout about Jesus and see his resurrection power demonstrated. And if we want to keep standing our ground in the midst of opposition, we need to be convinced about what we're called to as well. Because the reality is, if we are not convinced that God has called us, that he's called us to have significance, that he's called us to see his kingdom advance, when opposition comes, it's more likely that we will step back and give up. And it's really important to realize that often the very area that the enemy comes to oppose us in is the very area we are called to have influence. That's a very significant strategy of the enemy. The very area you're called to bring breakthrough is the area he will oppose you in. So, you know, you might be called to see families impacted with the gospel. You might be called to see families function God's way, and yet your own family feels like it's in a complete mess. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage, or you've gone through divorce, or your kids aren't walking with Jesus. And although you feel called to impact families, the enemy is coming to oppose you in the very area you're called to have influence. Or you might be called to see breakthrough in mental illness and see people come out of mental illness into a place of breakthrough and freedom and yet maybe like me you've started to struggle a bit with anxiety and you're wondering am I actually depressed or the people around you are suddenly starting seemingly to struggle with mental health, mental illness and the enemy is coming to oppose you in the very area you're called to see breakthrough because he wants to stop you or you're called to impact the business sector And you're called to see influence in business, but every promotion you go for, it seems like the door is shut in your face. And you're feeling discouraged. And the enemy is coming to oppose you in the area God has called you to have breakthrough. I know for me, um, very early on when I gave my life to Jesus, God put a fire in my belly to see healing. It was a sovereign thing. I wasn't asking for it, but I remember being prayed for on one occasion, and suddenly I just knew I am called to see the sick healed. I am called to see incredible miracles and signs and wonders. I just knew it, and I had prophetic words to confirm it. But you know that one of the biggest areas of battle in my life personally where I've faced the most opposition is to do with sickness. Sickness in my own life, sickness in my family, family's lives. It's been an area that the enemy has come to oppose me in. Why? Because he doesn't want me to step into the calling that God has spoken over my life. And it's been a battle. And there have been times when I thought to myself, I'm just going to stop praying for the sick. It's too hard to keep going. I have, I have been in those places. But the fire and the conviction God put in my heart, that, that time when I was prayed for, has never totally gone out. Even, even when it's been hard, there's still been embers. And God has blown that fire back into being. And I can't help myself. I am going to keep praying for the sick until the day I die because I know that is what God's called me to. But you've got to be convinced. You've got to be convinced about what you're called to. I received a a picture for my birthday uh, that said this statement, um, be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your heart on fire. And I love it. I absolutely love it. But it's also provoked me because I had to sit down with Jesus and think, do I know what sets my heart on fire? What is it actually that sets my heart on fire? 
is my heart still being set on fire for some stuff? Or has it all just become a bit lukewarm? Has everything plateaued a bit? Has it all become a bit beige? Or is there still stuff that burns in me that I know that I'm called to see? What is it for you? Do you know what sets your heart on fire? Do you know what you're called to? When opposition comes, the more you're convinced about what God has called you to do, the less likely you are to step back and give up. The more likely you are to keep taking ground and moving forward. And just before we pray, I think the last thing we need to see from this passage is just how quickly God answered their prayer. It says in verse 31, When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know, when you come to God, you lift your eyes to him, you focus on his unchanging nature. And when, because of that, you pray again for more boldness to keep doing the thing you're called to do, God is quick to rush in and equip you. Do you know what? You need the Holy Spirit to do what you're called to do. Do you know that? It's it's him in you that is going to enable you to do it. And when we come to him and say, Father, this is the truth about who you are. This I know I'm called to do. Give me great boldness to keep going after this stuff. The Holy Spirit will be quick to come and fill you afresh and to stir that fire again and give you everything you need to keep going and to keep taking ground. Because that's what we're called to, guys. We are called to greater things. We are not called to shrink back. We are not called to be isolated. We are called to be family together who go after everything God's got for us, even in the face of opposition. Why don't we stand together? Let's pray.